We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to go through the whole thing. So while you turn there in your Bibles, and I hope you were able to grab a uh, bulletin as you came in, because there's some things that we're going to review at the end, and there's just some space for you to take some notes. But while you get to Luke uh, 15, I want to open up with this verse out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So this evening, what I didn't want to do was seem like I was preaching another sermon. Or that we were coming to another Saturday and it was just going to be more teaching. Or just another lecture, just another message. No. I want us to understand that this series is so much more about facts and talking points. Although facts and talking points help us to connect details and, and timelines, this series on the gospel is a narrative and a collection of unfolding stories that lead us to the main story, which is why I'm up here sitting, sitting with you. It's going to be story time with Will. But story time with Will, reading Jesus' stories. See, sometimes there are going to be some technical things, right? Like, Jesus had to be God and man. He had to die on the cross. He had to shed his blood, right? Like, I get that, but it's so much more. And so I hope that, that, that as we go through, we understand that we need those technical things. And sometimes we need to actually understand the mission. But really, at the end of the day, we are experiencing and we are engaging in an active and living faith. And so what we call the scriptures, or the Bible, right, or your Bible app, Old Testament, New Testament, 66 books, it's a compilation of stories. And if you read through it, there's some good stories, there's some bad stories, there's some ugly stories that we don't know what to do with. But the Bible doesn't sugarcoat or even withhold information because it's not about us. But it's about a person and a God who loves us and loved us enough to save us for himself. And so while we don't look good, God does. And he proves himself to be good and the definition of goodness because of himself. And then we get to benefit. Because of that goodness, we find out that we're worth eternal goodness. So again, that Bible, the scriptures, right, you're going to read historical narratives, right? You're going to read poetry. There's songs. There's love stories. There's drama. There's letters to real people and real churches with real issues and circumstances apocalyptic literature, and all of those uh, stories share a common understanding that lives are unfolding and point back 
to a good God? A group of pastors were asked this question, and that's dangerous because pastors talk a lot. But they said this. The question was, could you sum up the message of the Bible in one sentence? Again, dangerous. So what pastors do is we use run-on sentences, all right? But I love this one by a pastor and a poet, uh, Doug Wilson. He says this. Here's his run-on sentence. Scripture tells us the story of how a garden is transformed into a garden city, but only after a dragon had turned that garden into a howling wilderness, a haunt of owls and jackals, which lasted until an appointed warrior came to slay the dragon giving up his life in the process. But his blood transformed the wilderness into the garden city. I heard a, a shorter, different summation of that, and, it said, and, they, and I heard it this way. The Bible is a story that tells that the king came to slay the dragon and get the girl. We are collectively the girl, because we are the bride of Christ. The king being Jesus, the dragon being sin and Satan and death, and again, the girl being the church. And Hollywood tries to copy that story every single time, right? Darkness and lie, good guys and bad guys. There's always a savior. We need a savior. We need a hero. He gets the girl. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And what this verse tells us is that the rest of human history will be a battle between these two parties, a battle for the hearts of humanity, a battle that ends in the glory of God. Let me just tell you right now. And you and I will battle through who we will worship. So again, this series on the gospel is a narrative and a collection of unfolding stories. Your story, my story, our collective unfolding stories that lead us to the main story. And it's this, that because Jesus, because of Jesus... We can be a part of God's family and have peace with God. No longer enemies. And so today I want to read through, I told you, I want to read through gospel stories. And then, and then hopefully share a portion of my story in hopes that you're going to tell your story where you live, learn, work, and play. Not a formula. Right? Not other talking points, not a strategy, although sometimes necessary, but your story. One more blip. Matthew 9, verses 12 and 13. I love this because I love where Jesus is, is placed and when he places himself. And he says, it says this in Matthew. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's almost like a duh moment. But go and learn what this means. I, Jesus, desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's all of us. And so then, in Luke 15, 
we find Jesus engaging exactly the people he said he's going to engage. So Luke 15, let's read. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now they would have paid attention. That, I mean, Jesus said that's what he was going to do. They didn't get it. Here's the thing. Jesus understands that people are in need of a savior, but also they're in need of a friend. Jesus is a savior. You and I get to be the friend. And then point people back to the best friend. Jesus brings those people, the ills of the world, into the fold around a dinner table. And shares parables or gospel stories. We're going to read all three. Look at verse 4. This is Jesus sharing a story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? (laughs) And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes Home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I'm not going to teach, but let me explain a little something. If you're here and you have never heard about this Jesus or don't consider yourself a follower just yet, Jesus in this parable is saying that you are worth rejoicing over. That he has and will go the lengths to bring you into the fold of his flock. That he wants to celebrate you, but celebrate what he will do in your life. He's got the party planning committee. He's ready to go. Let's jump in verse 8. That was the first one. And Jesus is like, oh, you didn't get it? Here's another one. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, not the nitty-gritty, but short explanation. For those of us who feel that we have stepped out of reach, that we're too far from Jesus' reach, Jesus is saying heaven is waiting with anticipation to shout hallelujah upon your return. He says, repent, 
Repent literally to change our mind or, or come to our senses about what we were doing and how we were living that was contrary to God. Moving in this direction, what am I doing? What is happening? Life is throwing curveballs, but God. And then you turn the other way. You come to your senses. And he says, when, when you do, when we do, heaven rejoices. Heaven, God and God's angels are rejoicing. And then in this third parable, Jesus marries the thoughts of rejoicing and repentance. Reclining, sitting back, good old time around the table. Trust me, Jesus knows how to throw a party. Good old time. Can you picture it? The laughs, the chatter, the buzz, the smell of the food just coming off the grill. It's around. Jesus there with the people. He says, let me, t- let me tell you a, th- a third parable in case you didn't get the first two. In verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so the father did. He divided his property between them. Here's a quick note on what's happening there. The son is basically saying, hey, dad, I don't want to wait until you die to get my inheritance. You're basically dead to me now, so give it to me. I'm not going to wait for the will. I'm not waiting for the lawyers. Everything that you're going to give me. Give it to me now. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. A.K.A. let your imagination run wild with that statement. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Just a short, short blurb, because I think these are two interesting notes here of when he said that he went and hired himself out. And I think the the language here is because there there are times where we know how good God is. We've understood his grace. We've seen his mercy, the blessing of God. There's no need for more blessing because he has lavished us with stuff, but we leave God and go to something else. And so the language that's used here when he says he hired himself, he basically pimped himself out to this person. The word describes a gluing of himself to another. And that if you try to rip it apart, it literally rips the paper apart. He foregone everything that was good and ended up in this situation. And then again, it, the word is he longed. It's the same as, as desire or, or he lusted after this slop that pigs eat. That's how much he wanted the food, and that's how much he was lacking. You get the picture? 
But look at the hope and the beauty of verse 17. When he came to his senses, Jesus is saying, he repented. The light went on. What am I doing? He said, look at 17. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And I love this. It says, but while he was still a long way off, y'all, like dad wasn't at the door watching through the screen. Dad wasn't in the driveway. Dad was at the end of the driveway, in the street, beyond the gate, looking for his son. And while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he took off and ran after his boy and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, Father... I have sinned. Remember, he played it all in his head. You ever been there? You have an argument in your head about how you're going to have a conversation with somebody else? Just play it. This is what I'm saying. I'm going to be like this. I'm going to put my hand in my pocket. It's going to be chill. I got to slow down here. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know what's crazy is that so often we view ourselves as unworthy, the same way as a son, as less than, as too far gone from the father's embrace, never to be united under his scent, under his cologne, right, in his embrace and safety. And when we think, I am not worthy, God says, oh, but you are because you are my son, you are my daughter, you are mine, and I am the one who makes you righteous. So God defines worth. God establishes value. And God says we are worth eternity in him and with him because of him. The artist and author, Makoto Fujimura, he writes this. He says, we must also understand that to accept the gospel is not to accept a decision of bartering with God. Saying something like, God, if you can get me out of this mess, I'll believe in you and and be good for the rest of my life. Which at the root, it means, what am I supposed to get out of this transaction? What what am I entitled to? The reason is that we have a consumer mindset. We have a consumer transactional language that we can somehow persuade God to buy our goods and what we're thinking, right? And it's it's our effort to redeem ourselves and not have the faith and learning to depend on God. We end up trying to do it ourselves. God's like, you can't. But I got you. So let's go back to verse 20. So he got up and he went to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. And he, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Small little teaching moment. Compassion. Compassion. Splagitsumai. Literally, the father's bowels and his heart like spazzed out. And he was so spazzed out, he felt it that out of that excitement and joy, he was like, I'm going. I'm going after you, son. And he runs. And then he's so moved with the compassion that while the son is trying to apologize, remember the whole like, hey, hey, I'm not worthy, dad. Like, make me hire servants. Like, in the middle of all that, the son's trying to apologize and the father's not even listening. He's hugging him. He's kissing him. He's like, yeah, 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 I get you. I get you. I get you. But quick, verse 22, the father, while the son is apologizing, the father's hugging him. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Son, I got you. I hear you, but it's okay. You're home. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Son, I hear you, but you're home. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Dad, I'm not worthy. No, 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 son. You're home. We're having a feast. Let's celebrate. And Jesus is saying, will you come home? For this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And what does Jesus do? He says that they celebrated. Told you Jesus loves a good party. Once again, Makoto Fujimura says, God likes to give one-way gifts that cannot be reciprocated. Friends, you, you need to hear this. You are never so far gone. You haven't sinned so bad. You haven't lived in shame and disgrace or self-reliance that is beyond God's ability to run and embrace you. God literally moved heaven and earth to redeem you because he is that good. He bankrupted heaven by giving Jesus for you, and he's just waiting to embrace you. And celebrate you and what he is going to do in your life. And heaven and the angels are going to celebrate. Know that your worth is found in Jesus. And that your worth is fulfilled in Jesus. That you have a story to tell. And Jesus wants you to share how he's working in your life. And how your story is unfolding by his goodness so others can understand their worth in Jesus. I love the simplicity of John chapter 9 and the story of the blind man. He had one line. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. I don't know the theology. I don't know the Christology. I don't know the soteriology, right? It doesn't matter. I was blind. Now I see. You go figure it out. You know what I love out of Luke 15? You want a formula? Get a dinner table and surround yourself with friends. Get a fire pit and surround yourself with friends who may be far from God, but guess what? They are near to you. 
find a driveway, a park, have a picnic, share your story, share a meal like Jesus. But people are going to say, it don't matter. They did it to Jesus. Your tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, like far from God, near to you, and allow them to understand that they need a Savior and you're their friend to bring them to the best friend. Again, you're not going to have all the answers sometimes. You're going to have, I was blind and now I see. Just tell the story. This is what God has been doing in my life. I don't know where we're going, but like I've seen his faithfulness in my life, so I'm going to trust him for the rest. I messed up, but boy, let me tell you about his mercy. Oh, and that sweet, sweet grace. Oh, and that song, Amazing Grace. I get it. Timeline, specific, right? You want, you want to have some of those technical things. They're fun. They're great. I love it. Just share your story. I have a story. You have a story. Share it. You know, I love one time I was um, 18 years old, 19 years old, and I knew the Lord was calling me, like, into ministry. But that was the worst year of my life, okay? I talk about, the, like, the prodigal son. I was like, well, I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going this way, God. You want me to go that way? I'm not doing it. I'm out. And I just spiraled. Everything I thought brought me joy. And I was like, I had my, I, I knew where I was going for school. I was going to go to Syracuse University. I was going to do this study abroad program in Florence. I already had a job at an architecture firm. So I knew I was going to, I had an, a job once I graduated there to come back. Right, my own little car, 19, had the little girlfriend, the whole works, but I was doing my thing, gone. I kid you not, coming back from night school, driving down Jersey streets, sweet, clean Jersey streets. <laughs> <laughs> little tiny alley, right, off 45th. Remember it, brightest day, projects, cars on both sides. Lights flickering, right? It's probably like 1.30 in the morning. I come through, uh, the, can't see nothing, came through the intersection, bam, 15-passenger van hits me driver's side. Saw the, I saw the glass just shatter in slow motion, come across my face, and that spider web just go across the windshield. My best friend hit into the side, and then bam, again, I got hit from the back. And then, bam, the front, I hit into a parked car. Obviously, I'm cursing and screaming. We walk out without a scratch. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing broken. No scratches. Me and my buddy get out, go around to help the other person that was in the van, make sure they were okay, make sure they were safe. I speak Spanish. They were Spanish-speaking, right? So I, we were all fine. Close the doors. Look at the van. It was a 15-passenger church van. That's crazy. And I was like, maybe that's a sign? <laughs> Regardless, maybe God has some, like, you know, nice little humor side for how he's dealing with me. But I knew what? God, you were getting my attention. I'm done. I'm done. I don't think this is a coincidence. Left it all behind. 
It was so crazy. I actually went, when I told them, um, I was like, hey, guys, went back to the architect firm in Cliffside Park, New Jersey. And I said, so I'm not coming back for next year. I'll finish out my year here. Won't be coming back after Christmas. And I kid you not, all the architects said, well, what are you, you going to do? And I said, um, I'm going to Bible college? Yeah. <laughs> and everything that you're doing there, they all laughed. But they laughed because they were like, there's no way. You and the Bible? Because they knew me. I said, I know. But that's what I'm supposed to do. Well, how are you going to get there? I have zero idea. Well, school already started. I know. You have money? Nah. (laughs) But it didn't matter. Found out there was a January start date. Found out that they had this little special program. Found out I could get scholarships. Because of my background in architecture, they actually needed help because they were rebuilding a new library. They were looking for draftsmen. So I went up there, and I was able to do drafts uh, and, 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 and look at the plans and work on the plans, get paid and get credit. Like, it just all worked out. That was crazy. But when God has a plan for your life, he's going to figure it out. We just got to step into it. Share our story. Let it unfold. And that's just one story. I got a million. But I'm sure you do too. Just let it unfold. Because it's not about us. It's about God who has been working in you so that he gets the glory and we all benefit. Even from a good story. An encouraging story. What if it's a life-changing story? It's not for you to know, but it is for you to share your story. I've got these five meditations that I want. This is where the bulletin is going to come into play. I want you to take a moment and just just take a moment and pray. Because I think sometimes, again, there's going to be the voice in your head. There's going to be, you know, the flesh. Satan and his little imps are going to get on your nerves. Like, it's a whole thing. But sometimes we need, like, the encouragement and the motivation of, like, Lord, I'm going to take a deep breath, and then I'm going to step into it. I don't know how, but we, we got this. And God's like, yeah, we got this, okay? So I've got these little six meditations written by Justin McRoberts, wrote two prayer books, phenomenal. I actually reached out to him, and I got permission for, to give this to you, all right? So this is a gift from him to you. But here's some, here's some meditation. Here's the first one. May my initial posture towards strangers be kindness and curiosity rather than suspicion and fear. The second one, may I never trade in my perception of others for knowing who they truly are. The third one there, may I have the wisdom to exchange control and safety for the opportunity to love and serve. How about this uh, fourth one here? May even my grief and brokenness become in some way a gift to the world around me, and may my whole life be an offering. And I know that one's scary because I know some of your stories. Some of your hurts. But God says it's an unfolding story. We'll do it slowly. He's there to heal you through the process. 
but he wants you to share little by little. You don't got to rush it. Hey, Lord, I got, I got some brokenness, man. I, you know how this is going to feel. He's like, I got you. I got you. And may I never confuse my own limited capacity for love and generosity with the depth of the well I draw from. I think a lot of times we all get here. Like, man, it's been a long week. It's been a day. The kids, the work, late nights. We all get it. Would you trust them? Lord, you know, here's where I'm at. What can we do about this? I, I don't have an answer. That's for you to find out. But be honest with the Lord. And so I want to take, how about three minutes? Go through one of these. Maybe you have your own. But ask God, God, how can I share my unfolding story with someone this week? Maybe there's already a name coming to mind, a person coming to your heart. Maybe somebody you've been praying for. We all have a story that points to the main story, which is that because of Jesus, we can have peace with God. So take a few minutes uh, for yourself between the Lord there, and I'll come back up and close the prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your tenderness. Father God, we thank you for your compassion. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for residing within Thank you that you would call us to yourself and that you would be even willing to associate yourself with us. I know who I am. And you love me. I've got a story. May I not be ashamed of it. Because in my brokenness, you are made beautiful. And the darker it is, and the, the deeper the grace, and the brighter the light, and that is you, Jesus. May we make it plain. May the world and our friends and our family know that they're in need of a Savior and a friend. And that you are that Savior and I'm here as a friend to point them to you, Christ. And so that's why we can read 1 Peter 2.9. And as crazy as it sounds, I now understand that it's because of you, Jesus that I can read 1 Peter 2.9 and it says that I am a chosen person. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into a wonderful light. Father, I don't know who you have in our minds and our hearts. I don't know where everybody is. I know some stories. I don't know it all, Lord. But may it unfold. May it bloom in the garden of our lives. And that as we live, the scent of our lives will be the scent of you, Jesus, working in our lives. We pray all these things in Christ's name.